Hey, Jack, Hi. how's it going there today? I'm good. How are you doing? Great. Thank you very much. I'm dialing in from New York. What about yourself? Uh, Los Angeles. Los Angeles. When did you move out there? Because I know that Second City guy, then, of course, 30 Rock filmed in New York, and eventually you have to go from New York to L.A. Well, sort of. I went from... I went from Chicago to New York as a poor person to LA. Then I got 30 Rock and so had to go back to New York. And then once 30 Rock ended, I was like, I like being tan in winter. Let's go back to LA. <laughs> and there you are. And we were connected to talk about Hello Jack, The Kindness Show. And I was curious about some of the background of the show. Like for example, a lot of our favorite all time movies we find out there was a working title and then the final title is not what it was originally filmed as. Was Hello Jack, The Kindness Show, the working title that became the real title? No, uh, I mean, we did have to have a working title. I think a lot of that is just, you know, Apple's policy. Um, so for a long time, I don't think I'm talking out of school and plus it's after the fact, but our working title was Hummingbird because a hummingbird actually plays a pretty large part in our program and I mean, I can sort of show you on my camera, but like hummingbirds live outside my window and they're just beautiful to look at. Do y'all have, do y'all have them on the East coast or at least maybe this time of year or do they come out in the summer or? They do, but living in a beach town, we don't even have mosquitoes. You know, I think you, you realize with the Long Island climate, you're either going to have bugs or you're not. So we just uh, pigeons and seagulls. Pigeons. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, the East coast hummingbird. <laughs> well, uh, you do, but that was the working title. It wasn't Hello, Jack, The Kindness Show. That I, That's what I've learned. Uh, that is correct. It was Hummingbird. And in fact, I mean, again, I think I'm doing some inside baseball stuff with you, but, uh, you know, to keep it simple for kids, we're like, oh, why not just Hello, Jack? And then you find out, like, some things have been taken already, uh, are already intellectual property of, of someone else. So uh, Hello, Jack, The Kindness Show, which I'm real happy about, because guess what? I'm Jack. It's a show about kindness. We ain't lying. It's not false advertising. <laughs> well, that speaks to you. And I, I, a lot of people don't like to hear them described as a brand, but your brand is fantastic in that it's essentially you. It's an elevated version of you. And you've had long-term success being you. Yeah. So when did you kind of realize in your career, like, hey, I'm going to be fine being me as opposed to, you know, Andrew Dice Clay uh, being <laughs> the exact opposite of who he is. All right, like playing a character. That's a great question. I suppose uh, during my time in Chicago in Second City in the improv comedy world, you do just start realizing where your strengths lie, where you know your weaknesses are. And mm -hmm. so once I realized that like, oh, I can still elicit laughter by playing a version of myself also, I like playing a version of myself. Also, I'm not a great actor. <laughs> so kind of what you see is what you get. But then I just realized like, this is fine. I'm, I'm okay doing this. And I mean, I have nothing but respect for people with, you know, vast range and, and who like really push themselves to delve into these different new characters. Um, and until that day comes for me, I'm real happy to play Jack McBrayer or Jack McBrayer adjacent. <laughs> Jason's a great word. And being a person who has loved comedy their whole life, Andy Kaufman, we find out, was dying to be a kid's star. He, he tried to do some children's adjacent projects. And Pee Wee Herman, that was a kid's 
character evolved into I don't know what you want to call it. In, yeah. Was there any influence from other comedian and and comic actors and improv people doing it, or was this just an organic thing for you? It was more organic. I mean, I've learned so much from my time in comedy in terms of just uh, how to produce a show and, and how to you know, have a character go for a long, long time. But more than anything, my inspiration came from shows like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, where you were watching the real human being, Fred Rogers, um, mm -hmm. be that person, be that voice for, you know, young children. Um, one challenge that I was anticipating, and, and I feel that I overcame, with Hello Jack was convincing a studio, convincing Apple, that I was being serious about this, that this wasn't gonna be some uh, ironic or, or cynical take on a kid's show. This is earnest, this was sincere, and uh, I was being my authentic self mm -hmm. in, in trying to you know, be this host. Um, and I, I'm so excited that I've done it because now I have that confidence and I don't feel that I have to prove myself and so I want to do more, you know, like, let's, let's keep the ball rolling. I really like this area. It feels good. You mentioned the magical word of producer. This is not the first thing you produced. I know you produced the stuff that you did with Triumph, other stuff, but was the goal all the way back to Second City to be producing and writing your own stuff? That's a great question, because in a way, at Second City, you are creating yeah. your own stuff. Um, in a way, you are producing it in terms of you're determining what it looks like, uh, how to package it together in a, in a smaller version, because you're just doing it for a theatrical presentation. Um, but I, I, I can't say that like as a young boy, I dreamed of being a producer. With that being said, now that I have been doing it long enough, there's something that feels good about kind of taking the lead, taking that ownership of content that you are creating, as opposed to, I mean, for, you know, better or worse, I was kind of just a hired gun for projects like 30 Rock or anything like that. You're just an actor who is hired to read the words that the writers have written and, and mm -hmm. play the part that the producers have created all fine and good. It's gotten me to where I am now. But I think you do reach a point where you're like, okay, I want to want to take a little more ownership of this. I want to I want to lead the charge a little bit more. Hmm. Sorry, one more question about Second City here, because the, as the lore goes, you got 30 Rock because Tina Fey knew of you from Second City. And that means that work led to that work led to that work. Were you part of Second City specifically because you sought them out? Or is there a second or third troop that you even looked at before you wound up at Second City? Well, it's interesting. I kind of like stumbled into improv comedy. After college, I moved to Chicago simply for the fact that I wanted to try life in a big city that wasn't Atlanta. I love Georgia and I love everything. Sure. But this is a big country. Let me see where else there is. Uh, and, you know, circumstances led me to Chicago, which is where I discovered um, Second City and the improv scene in general. At that time, and, you know, mid 90s, 
you yeah. were able to do things simultaneously. So I was at Second City, as well as Improv Olympic, as well as doing shows at the Annoyance Theater. It was just a real burgeoning scene during that time. And I was fortunate that I was able to kind of like bounce around um, and, and uh, you know, get that much more stage time and that much more experience and, and play with that many more different people. Um, very, very formative. But yes, I mean, like my time there at Second City led to Tina Fey's husband, Jeff Richmond, was my director at Second City. So Tina Fey knew my work, you know, time in New York spent together and lo and behold, I'm on TV. You're on TV and uh, you mentioned Atlanta. And now at this point in time, it seems like more shows film in Atlanta than ever before. You know, the more actors I speak with, the more I find out they've never filmed anything in New York or Los Angeles before. Everything is out there. So in a weird alternative world had you never gone to second city and just stuck around in georgia you might have had that career it just would have taken 15 to 20 years longer right and you know what's so funny is like now all that production is in georgia i can't get a job there to save my life like i, I bet i couldn't get hired at applebee's there anymore but at least apple not applebee's has hired you and see what i did there um okay. so, so where does uh, hello jack the kindness show fully film los angeles Yes, yes, we're in the LA area. Um, we did it during COVID, so have to have a you know very strict protocol. We have child actors, so in a way that was great because we were super you know rigid with what we could and couldn't do, and um, they they kept us in line and we did it. We did it successfully. I was really proud. How much of it was written in advance, meaning? Some shows, the creator of it or the star of it knows, okay, well, episode one starts this way. The last episode ends this way. So in other words, they have the beginning, they have the end, they know the whole thing. Is that kind of how you work? No, not for this kind of show. Uh, for a children's show, we do want to keep it more, you know, um, uh, easy to digest in one go. So a kid does not have to see the episodes in order, for example. They're a little more self-contained. Um, we did have the luxury of being able to write pretty much all of the episodes during the pandemic of 2020 and then start filming in 2021. So we were having Zoom writers rooms. We were having oh. Zoom casting sessions. We were doing all of that in 2020 so that by the time 2021 came around, we were able to just uh, hit the ground running um, and you know changes being made all along the way but for example I remember in 30 Rock days even though the writers would have like you know a three-month lead time by the end of the season everybody was just like sprinting towards the finish line because things just pile up and and that's just the nature of it but yeah for this show we we had a pretty good separation of uh, the scripts being written and then production. That was actually one of my next questions that you answered in there. Was Zoom used for writing? And the answer is yes. I mean, it was amazing. And I mean, I'm sure many industries have realized how beneficial we can be to be face-to-face -face and in the comfort and safety of our own homes. Um, I am curious to see like how this changes things. For example, I know like in LA, a lot of just casting sessions are still being done via Zoom. Um, but then I wonder, you know, because also in auditions, you have like a chemistry read where let's see if the two love interests really hit it off. Is that still on Zoom or are they actually coming into the studio for that? Who knows? And Not press me. junkets are clearly still Zoom-based these days. That's right. I mean, I mean, this is Zoom-based. Well, we're in different cities, but you know what I mean. 
And then another question I have about you and your creative process is some people that I speak with can have five spinning plates in the air at the same time. They can just go, okay, uh, we'll write for an hour or two on this one. And then the next day, well, that one. Are you able to, to creatively work on more than one project at a time? Hmm. Well, that's tricky. So for example, with Hello Jack, I was able to work on different um, elements, different aspects of this show, as well as like, you know, different scripts at a time. I think I am able to work on different projects, but it takes a little more forethought and a little more just delineation on my part. For example, like, okay, I'm going to work on this project till noon and then I'm going to switch over and look at these revisions for these, you know, that kind of thing. But I, I, I'm pretty sure I can do it. I'm not going to say that I have OCD, but I have uh, some of those tendencies and sometimes those come in real handy. And I think that's where I would, um, you know, uh, capitalize on that is trying to spin more plates. I mean, even with Hello Jack, the kindness show, I was wearing so many hats mm -hmm. that it was wild to, I don't see how Tina Fey did it. I don't see how Tina Fey did 30 Rock. Um, having to write those episodes, be on the floor the whole time, deal with all these crazy actors and also learn her lines. Um, it was bonkers. So for Hello Jack, just being, you know, I would have most of the dialogue in an episode. I would also have to be answering creative questions. I'd have to be attentive right. to how we were doing scheduling and budget wise, looked at script revisions. Oh, we have these cast audition tapes you need to look at. I was like, yikes, this is a lot. Daddy needs a nap. <laughs> but producer, yeah. producer Jack doing producer things. Be careful what you ask for. <laughs> well, tying that all in to us, the everyday folk, the, the media elite, uh, it is a new show. It, you know, it's upcoming. June 24th, new stuff happens. To you, in a way, it's kind of old, not just from doing all the media junkets, but you were writing this all, quite a while ago. So are you allowed to say what's next, or is that under Hollywood reporter embargoes and variety embargoes and all that? Well, there's a great deal of uh, confidentiality involved. But I will say that uh, we have worked so hard. I'll even go to say that, like, even though we were writing in 2020, I was pitching this thing years, plural, before that. This has been cooking in my little pea brain for a long time. Um, and so the good news was I was never, I was never frustrated with that. I was never ready to give up because of the amount of time it took. Mm -hmm. I believed in it that much. And I guess I was fortunate in a way that the messages we were trying to convey with the show are a little more evergreen, are a little more not so time sensitive that they can't be seen anytime. Um, <clears throat> so yes, I, I have learned to just be patient with when things are announced, when things are released, all that kind of things. Um, I, I've been very pleased and proud of the response to the show. Uh, people have said lovely, lovely things about it. Um, and my favorite thing is like when my friends will send videos of their kids or their niece and nephew or whatever, watching the show and dancing along with it and stuff. It's really fun. It's really special. And that's kind of exactly what I set out to do. Two quick questions and then you're a free man. And the first one, couldn't figure this out. Who were some of your favorite musical artists 
all time of the moment, et cetera. Right. Like some people, you look at their Wikipedia and somehow that's on there under the personal life uh, area. Oh, their favorite bands are the Beatles and the Stones. Who do you like? What do you listen to? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. I mean, I do have to give a shout out to OK Go, who did all of the music for our episodes. Yeah. Um, but also, I was such a fan of theirs before. So it was so weird having to like interview them over Zoom because you have to act like you're not starstruck. And I'm sitting there like just trying to be professional. But, you know, just knowing them and their videos and everything. Um, gosh, who else do I like? Uh, it's funny because you think back, I was having a conversation yesterday. I loved the music of the 90s. And that might be a little dated, but like there was good music in the 90s. I um, I was an intern at a radio station in Chicago called Q101, the new rock alternative. Oh yeah. And so like, I was just in that world and uh, I was very, very pleased to be like part of that, you know, like to be a grown up who could enjoy that music and go see those shows as opposed to like a kid who hear it on the, AM, FM radio. Um, but yeah, in general, you always got to say Beatles too. Come on. I got to work with Paul McCartney on 30 Rock. All the greats. And, and the last question for you, because you mentioned OK Go, who I worked with for a long time. Oh. Uh, if, if we say the nicest person in the world is Jack, uh, the second nicest person in the world is Dan Kanopka from OK Go, who's the, the third nicest person? And you know, it would be a three-way tie between the other three guys from OK Go. <laughs> well, there you go. Thank you for your time and the many, many years of great work and looking forward to whatever is coming next, no matter what it is. Sounds great. Yes, please check out those specials and the digital shorts of Hello Jack. We got to work with like real children in the community uh, who demonstrate their acts of kindness. And it was really special, really, uh, really wonderful uh, opportunity for me. Jeremy, thank you for your time. Big fan for many years. I put that up front because this isn't one of those gotcha interviews. This is one where the compliments are not followed with but. Uh, so <laughs> that said, good day for you so far, aside from having to do media. Right on. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's going well, man. And Taste Like Gold, the new album that's still two weeks or so from coming out. So I asked AJ when it was finished, and it's not finished that long ago, but when did you approve the master of it? Oh man, when did we master this? Um, we mastered in, in here in Nashville with a guy, uh, Pete Lyman, who's awesome. And um, I can't remember. Wasn't that long ago though. Um, right. Yeah. Sometimes when you do interviews and you ask, when did you finish your album? People actually haven't finished the album. It's just like a race to the second to get that mastering job. And then other people, Oh, the album's been done three years. We were just waiting for the right deal. And oh, Round yeah. Hill Music putting this album out. Did you know outright that Round Hill was the label? We had a pretty good idea. We've been talking with Round Hill for, um, actually, we've been talking with them for a couple of years um, about publishing and, and, and record label stuff and all that. And, um, and, and yeah, I mean, they're just a great group of people and just big music fans over there. And, it just, it's been a great fit so far, you know? And um, and it's a relatively new label. Um, so, you know, as, as far as a record label goes, they're relatively new, you know, even though they own 
tons and tons of great records and, and catalogs and things. Um, this is going to be kind of a, a, a new adventure for all of us, you know, so hopefully we put each other on the map, if you will, as a, um, you know, they're just, they brought in some great, great people. So our team over there is really, really great. Um, and then, but yeah, I mean, once we started making the record, we had already done our deal with Round Hill and we were turning songs in as we went. And, um, but I, I mean, I think realistically we were in the mastering room like a couple months, maybe three months ago. So not, not, really, not that long. When it comes to labels, something that I really appreciate that Lit did was when you were on RCA, you had the Dirty Martini label imprint and you signed a couple of your friends and it didn't go as great as everyone had hoped, but it really showed that Lit had a community, it had a brand and that you weren't competing, that you were friends with other musicians. A lot of musicians don't associate with other musicians. Does that peer community kind of mindset go back to the Gazaris days? Is that where that comes from? Well, no, I mean, it's interesting because we, we have a lot of that, that, <coughs> that has become much more commonplace nowadays than, than back then in 99, 2000, you know, even 98, we had that dirty martini sort of imprint associated with us. And we, um, you know, it took us 10 years to get a record deal and to, yeah. to have a shot at it. Right. And so we felt that there were other bands out there that deserved at least a shot, you know, and it turned out the first band, Handsome Devil, that, that um, I signed. I love that album, by the way. It's that, a really that, great record, man. Yeah. It's a test of time. Danny Walker knew what he was doing. Yeah. I mean, we had a, you know, we, it just so happened that I was a huge Danny Walker fan, a huge Wank fan, um, but, and he was the first signing to Dirty Martini, but I was getting Kate, like, boxes and boxes and boxes of, of submissions, demos and, you know, packages and pictures and all that. And I would come home from the road and I had a little office room set up in the back of the house and I would come home and I'd have like two days off and I would literally sit there, you know, with 400 envelopes to go through. And, you know, it got to the point where, I mean, I felt I was kind of like an A&R guy, you know, yeah. I was opening up stuff and I would get envelopes and if they just looked like crap, like the band wasn't serious, I would just toss it. Right. And then if it looked good, then I'd open that. And if that was cool, then I'd listen to it. And usually I wouldn't get past like 20 seconds of it. And then I'd toss that. And, and, and there were, I think out of probably a few hundred, there was maybe a dozen that I was like keeping my eye on. And then it just so happened that Danny Walker, uh, we ran into each other in Reno uh, at a show and he had told me he had a bunch of songs he was working on. I said, well, I got a label I'm working on. And um, he sent me some demos and probably 30 or 40 songs. And I just, I was like, dude, we got to do this. Um, he didn't have a band yet or a name yet or anything. It was just Danny Walker oh. and a bunch of songs. Yeah. Wow. So it was a solo project in a way that people didn't realize it was a solo project. Well, he, you know, Danny was the, he was the, the writer in Wank and he was kind of the driving force of, of that band. And um, so, yeah, he was just doing what he does. You know, he just cranks, cranks out great songs, but that was a, they had a real shot. Same with color red, you know, color red. I, uh, mm -hmm. A friend of ours was kind of managing them and I went and saw him in a, in a storage shed out in Riverside, California. And it was, you know, hot as shit and um, loud as shit. And they blew me away. But um 
both of those bands really had a had a shot you know what what it wasn't so much RCA's fault as it was just the world around us. Like Handsome Devil was getting uh, was getting attention on the radio, and their song was getting played, and they were out on tour. And then nine eleven happened. Yeah, and, I mean nine eleven derailed our record. You know, Atomic Atomic got screwed on that. Not, not to say that nothing compares to what happened on nine eleven, obviously, but you know, no. If, if people, you're talking about, I'm sorry to cut you off there. There's a lot of albums that were coming out on 9-11. Like there was a Jamiroquai album. There was a, there was a Power Man 5000 album called Are You Ready for the Destruction of the World or something like that. There was a lot of stuff that was going to happen that month and would have changed music. I, re I remember seeing uh, Lit in support of Atomic at the Bowery Ballroom at that point in time in, here in New York. Yeah. Definitely, it was a time where people were not looking for upbeat music like Lipstick and Bruises. Well, they also, you know, most radio stations, you know, went to comfort food. Yeah. You know, they, they, they would spend, you know, post 9-11 for like that month, you know, it would be like two songs per hour and then the rest would be just taking phone calls. Um, and, and just talking people, which it was necessary, you know, people needed to talk about their feelings and people needed to feel and hear other people sharing their stories. And just, it was really um, as unfortunate as that time was for, for new bands and, um, and bands like us that were trying to, you know, keep, keep, the, keep it going, you know, um, it was a, it was a kind of a beautiful time at, you know, post 9-11, the way the country was so united and mm -hmm. so, together and just um so it's kind of like you know it, it, it there's 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 definitely some good that came with it but but yeah man those were great records you know I, that was a that was a fun time well as i was complimenting aj before uh when i interviewed him i admire how lit did not quit that after you walked away from rca you did the deal with drt the band never permanently went away you did the indie thing you did the country thing you yourself writing music for video games or at least playing on video games and doing independent projects that people don't necessarily know about did you know when you were walking away from RCA of like oh this is just a speed bump we're in this for the next 20 to 30 years I don't know that we've ever put a time frame or a time limit on us I think you know, it's funny because now when we're getting ready, we're putting this new record out. We got, we're, you know, 20 minutes ago, I was on the phone with our lighting guy talking about the tricks we're going to pull out at the House of Blues Anaheim show. And we're, it's like, we're just still excited and doing it. And, and, and it feels like it did 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Um, but at the same time, I think we look at each other now, we're like, wow. It, you know, I think maybe 10 years ago, we looked at each other, we we're like, well, yeah, duh, what else will we be doing? And now we kind of look at each other like, wow, we're still doing this it. pretty damn cool, you know? Because um, I, I don't know that if you would ask me 30 years ago, if I would you know, still be doing this, but at the same time, I don't know what the hell else I would have been doing, you know? Yeah, you're on that short list of childhood friend bands that made it and stuck around it's you guys you two the chili peppers clutch not a lot of those bands yeah it's um well you know yeah it really is a brotherhood and, and and i think the foundation of of our band is rooted in just the love love for music i mean aj and kevin and i all met 
in junior high. And the reason that we met was because we all loved heavy metal and the rock and roll. You know, it was like, you know, Kevin, Kevin was walking through the halls wearing a Van Halen shirt, you know, and I was wearing an Iron Maiden shirt. We were like, hey, we should be friends because we like cool music, you know. And we, we actually used to go to concerts together at, just as fans bef- before we ever talked about playing music together, you know. So we just have that genuine love of music and love of, of concerts. And, and we, we still, I mean, any night of the week, like, I'm watching live music. AG's somewhere else watching some live music. Kevin's at some concert, like, taking pictures. I mean, right. we're still, like, you know, hardcore fans. Outrocast.